This podcast replay is brought to you by Walton Rayom. Call for a free consultation, 954-966-4646. At Walton Rayom, they don't get paid unless you win. Welton Rayom handles property damage claims due to a hurricane. Welton Rayom can help. 954-966-4646. There he is, Tracy Chapman's biggest fan, jamming a uh, fast car every day of his life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your words, not mine. <laughs> yeah, Did you can't, even say that, that? can't say as much. I, I, I've expanded in, in the music I've, I listen to, but I've not expanded uh, there yet. And did, did you even know that song? No, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm not aware. And now, I, I mean, I saw it all over Twitter uh, yesterday. I, I was late to. to now you know Stairway the, to Heaven. Now you know Stairway. Yes. To heaven. You yeah, know, yeah. You know Freebird, right? Freebird. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Bird. yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, Back in Black, right? From ACDC. Yes, definitely. Okay. I, I right. even have that one in my songs. So, okay, you know, I'm just I'm just throwing stuff out there, like you know that, like Fast Car, Tracy Chapman, huh? What? Huh? <laughs> it's a I I I that that song ever since it came out in the '80s, back in the MTV days, I never understood the craziness for the song then, and I don't understand how it's still like, you know, and like she's like looked at like some legend it's like yo you came up with a mediocre song that a couple people liked okay wow uh you know whatever bro it's just what was that the one hit was that was that a one hit wonder back then yes that's her one hit or wonder. Were yeah huh Kevin didn't have any other hits dude none that was, <laughs> that was her one hit you know and she got taylor swift dancing throughout the entire song so i will say this i don't that's think probably a bigger thing then I, I don't think much of that song, but I will say Luke Combs actually added to the song. He made it actually even bearable. You know, he, he actually improved it. In fact, he should re-record it, and maybe it'll actually be half decent with Luke Combs doing uh, doing it. Because really, I mean, she can put me to sleep in a fast car. And really, how do you fall asleep in a fast car? You know, you, you kind of want to be awake in a fast car. Right, unless right. See Chapman, then you're going to be asleep in a fast car. Is what's going to happen. <laughs> uh, All right, I even the clip. I got to, I got to watch it. I tuned in for bits and pieces of the Grammys. Uh, I saw a bunch of uh, Twitter or X hoopla over that. Um, so then I just missed it. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I guess I got to watch it and see what I'm missing. Yeah, yeah, the Luke Combs one. I will say I, I got to give him props there. I'll, I'll give uh, Luke Combs some props for bettering that song. All right, Anthony Weaver. Uh, I, I trip out on the whole hire thing because just between you and me, I don't have a problem with Josh Boyer. I didn't have a problem with Fangio, and I'm not going to probably have a problem with Weaver. My issues are all on offense anyway. So to me, that's really the – but everybody, oh, well, Weaver might do this. He could be good at that, at this, that, whatever. Your thoughts on on the hire? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I like the hire. It's, it seems like an up-and-coming guy. You see the way he communicates with players that – um, he's, uh, he's pretty intense. He brings it, brings that competitive fire. And, um, I, what Mike McDaniel mentioned, which I think is at the forefront of his mind is, uh, the, the coach as a player developer, uh, I think, uh, the, the two guys, uh, McDaniel and him, they see eye to eye in that respect. So there was a reason that that was played up in his statement, uh, for sure. 
So, and I, I don't think that was necessarily any shade at uh, whether Vic Fangio looks at uh, player development the same way. I'm sure all coaches value player development, but uh, just that it, it's it's more so at the forefront of what he wants to do. And uh, yeah, we saw, we did have one stint as a defensive coordinator. It wasn't that great. The Houston Texans in 2020 in a season that went awry with a unit that uh, didn't have much outside of J.J. Watt. They were 27th in points against. Uh, he ran sort of a lot of single high looks, more aggressive defense, and I think he will run. Uh, now with the, the Ravens under Mike McDonald, they were a lot of uh, the, the same looks that you saw, uh, this Fangio scheme that's uh, sort of sweeping the, the league. So I think we'll see more of that. Maybe it's some kind of combinations. Maybe Weaver's somewhere in between. We won't know for sure until sort of we get him on record, talk to him, and ask him what kind of defense he envisions running. But um, I imagine he will see a lot of the two high shells and um, it's some quarters coverage, the cover six, all that stuff, uh, in sort of a, an in-between, a nice balance between what he did run in 2020 with the Texans and then what the, the Ravens have uh, run since uh, he was uh, associate head coach and defensive line coach there. Yeah, I uh, I have no problems with the hire, bro. The hire will be fine. I'm I'm sure he's going to be a damn good, you know, defensive coordinator overall. Uh, you uh, you look at uh, some of the things that they have to do guys. Where are you at? Others. What do you think is going to happen here? Uh, you, you were you were uh, the sound was kind of drowning out. What were you asking, sir? I said that um, I expect Weaver to be fine, but what do you think is going to happen with some of his players now on defense, like Wilkins and others? Who, who's coming back and who is not? What, do you, what have yeah. you been able to gather? Yeah, Wilkins is at the forefront of that. Um, so, I mean, he's a player developer, and look, the, the Dolphins also, they just came out of the Senior Bowl. You have assistant defensive line coach Kenny Baker, actually coaching the senior bowl D lineman on one of the sides, uh, Austin Clark defensive line coach was there. So if they're looking at these defensive linemen in the draft, and that's one way they can go where if Wilkins price is something that they can't meet, then they could let them walk. Hey, they could also franchise them. That's going to be pretty expensive in the short term, but um, you could, you, so you have options there. You could go Wilkins uh, franchise one year, and then we're looking for that replacement in the draft that you could sort of develop over a year where maybe the, the next guy is a rotational D lineman that then uh, becomes that guy next to Zach Sealer. Maybe that guy that you take high in the draft has to uh, come in right away and, and be that guy that's starting and is, um, is expected to contribute from the start. Or uh, you are able to land uh, Wilkins long term, and then Weaver. I'm sure he'd love that if uh, if Weaver, a defensive line guy who uh, has played uh, the position, coached the position, and then he has Wilkins and Zach Sealer. That combination, Salt and Pepper, locked up for some time. I'm sure he would love to have that. So um, that that's a route you can take. It's going to be difficult under the salary cap and where the Dolphins are, especially for future seasons. Uh, there are ways to get Wilkins in team friendly early in the deal. And then you're just kind of screwed later where you've pushed back all your money anyway. But uh, but there are options. And uh, and the Dolphins have been looking at a lot of D linemen uh, for the upcoming draft. So that, that could be one way to go in, uh, you know, whether it may not be the first round, but could be second or third round pick. So you're you're uh, you're leaning more to where I'm at now. Finally, right. That Wilkins is gone, right? 
there are avenues to get him back, uh, but it, it's it's going to be challenging. And especially when he just had the nine sack season, then uh, he might have priced himself out uh, based on doing that. The Dolphins didn't meet the price before he had the nine sack season. Now he's got those sacks and what he wanted before, he's going to want more now. So uh, it's he's not gone. like, okay. Yeah. He's gone, bro. He's gone. I'm telling you. I've been telling you guys for weeks now. He's gone. He will and he seemed to speak like it. Out. That last interview that he had in Kansas City upon the elimination, he some of the uh, the, the ways that he phrased uh, certain answers uh, seemed to uh, lean that way for sure. He knows he's gone, dude. He's going to price himself out. He's going to want his money, and and I get it that he's going to want his money. It's it's very understandable. Uh, I think they're gonna. I think they're not as impressed with the sacks because most of the sacks came against bad teams. It's one of the things that I've been talking about because I think that's what's going to end up hurting him in their conversations. That those sacks weren't against the elite teams. Only Buffalo was the only one. Outside of that, everything else was uh, against lesser uh, against lesser teams, and that's going to be that's going to be an issue. Yeah, so that's one way to, to look at those numbers. Uh, but then, I mean, the, the sacks there, the, the numbers are there. So uh, any uh, player and their representation, they're going to point to that. They're going to say, hey, listen, what he needed was to show he could provide an interior pass rush after the previous years of showing you everything else. He didn't have those sack numbers the way the other defensive tackles that have gotten big money, uh, the, the way they racked up the sacks. Well, now he finally has them. And uh, so – it, and it's just going to be sort of this moving of the goalpost where it's not, okay, the Dolphins, they needed to see the sacks. Now they see them. Now they could pay the price that was talked about before. No, now Wilkins's price is also going to go up. So it's sort of the both sides are just going to keep moving in that direction and probably never meet. No, you're, you, you are right. And, and that's the thing. And again, let me, let me pull this up because I want to, I want to pull this up for you to make sure. And, and this is why I think some some of these things are going to come into play. And they uh, and that's why I mentioned it to you. Here it is. All right. I'm going to I'm going to pull up his game logs. All right. Um, outside of the sack with the Bills, half a sack against the Jets, a sack against Tennessee. Two sacks against the Jets. This is two and a half sacks against the worst offensive line in the NFL. I'm just being factual here. The only O-line that had more starting combinations than the Dolphins. Right. New England, one sack. Again, not a great offensive line. Two against Carolina. Not a great offensive line. Half a sack against the Giants. Not a great offensive line. And another sack against New England. Not a great offensive line. So you look at all his sacks, only one came against a legit team, and that was Buffalo. And and it was a great play. Not only was it a sack, it was a strip and a fumble recovery. I mean, all right. it, yeah. was, it was a sweet-ass play on his part, and I give him a lot of credit. But I think that that's going to be what they're going to hold against him, you know, in, this, in, in these negotiations. They're going to say, yeah, you got the sacks, but – you didn't show up against Dallas and you didn't show up against Baltimore and you didn't show up against Kansas city and you didn't show up against Philadelphia. And that's what they're going to say. They're going to say in most of the big games, including the first Buffalo game, you also didn't show up. 
And so I think that's what's going to end up hurting him in this process where he's going to ask for 24, 25, and they're going to say, yeah, we're kind of where we're at last year. Maybe we added 500,000 or something or a million. But I, I just don't think there's going to be much movement because the sacks didn't come against the big, big boys. That's just me. Yeah, even – even I remember that first Buffalo game, uh, I think he was without a tackle deep into that game, like maybe through three quarters. And I'm looking at the game long now. He only had two tackles, one solo, one assist in that game. So, uh, yeah, where I remember specifically he, his impact was not there uh, that first game against Buffalo um, and then some of the other um, major uh, games, those, those bigger games. I mean, he contributed to uh, that whole narrative all season that the Dolphins couldn't beat the other contenders. Basically, yes, he, he he played along the same lines of not really playing well against contenders, except for the Bills, where he actually you know came up with a right. the second a big, game, yeah, yeah, with a big time play. What do you think? Well, that was kind of like the last good play. That was like the last good play that the Dolphins had because uh, uh, I uh, I think the the punt return came later. It was early in the fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken, and then the right. punt return came, and then everything just uh, snowballed after that. Offense couldn't move. Tua with the pick at the end. Allen drives them down. So, how are you yeah. feeling about the first rounder right now? What direction do you think they're going to end up going? Yeah, I mean, um, uh, I see a lot of mock drafts that like uh, that Jackson Powers Johnson, uh, which hey, if uh, the Dolphins may very well need an interior offensive lineman, uh, so that that could be a way if they can't bring back Robert Hunt, if uh, Connor Williams is is not there, uh, if they can't meet on a price because Dolphins don't want to pay it with well, both their salary cap situation and him coming off the injury, and uh, and maybe Williams still wants something that's representative of what he was doing before the injury, then uh, and that could uh, lead to uh, them not reaching an agreement. So if either or, which it's unlikely, I think that both of them are, are going to be back. Then yeah, that's that's one area is the interior offensive line and um, and uh, Powers Johnson's uh, seems like a, a good fit for that spot in the first round. So. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it won't be Bowers. Stop it, folks. He's not going to fall to twenty-one. Okay, folks. I, I would. They're going to find a way to get a tight end this year. I guarantee you. They, they need to hit a tight end. Yeah, they will get one, but it won't be Bowers. He's going to be gone before. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You're talking about Brock Bowers. Yeah, yeah. Since I just said Powers Johnson, I thought you were talking about him. <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, no, Bowers. No, no, no. I, I keep getting. I keep getting DMs and. Tweets and texts and oh, we got to oh, get. He's, he's far like, gone. He's yeah. not going to be available at twenty-one, dude. So forget yeah. about it. They wanted uh, Laporta. He just they they couldn't find a way to trade up, and and he just didn't fall to them in the second round. And so then they went in the direction of Cam Smith. And yeah. so they're they've been trying. I think that's one of the priorities this year is to yeah. get that third playmaker. And it, and you know, a lot of people talk about receiver. No, no, no. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a tight end. They're going to finally get that playmaking tight end. I so really you, you think in the, in the first round. No, no, no. Okay, just, just in in the first few rounds. Yeah. No, no, no. Trade, free agency, oh. draft. I don't know how, but Some they will. The they will find a way to get a playmaking tight end. I really believe that. Yeah, I yeah, don't I know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tell you exactly how because I don't know how everything's gonna work out right now. You know what I mean? But I, I know that that has to be on their priority list because 
it's it's a it's an element that is missing from that offense. Mike McDaniel really cannot call his real offense until he has a playmaking tight end that he can count on. Then they'll be more balanced to what he wants to do because that's what that system is. Yeah. Yeah, and all of these draft projections are, are uh, they uh, they get so complicated because you're looking at team needs at the end of a season, but then free agency and trades occur before that. The Dolphins have a track record of addressing those major needs before the draft even gets there the last couple of seasons. So like two years ago, we were looking at all the wide receivers that the Dolphins might select with that uh, first round pick. And then uh, sure enough, uh, they trade for Tyreek Hill. So then all that research we were doing on all those wide receivers in the draft, one, the, the draft picks that could have been used for those receivers were sent to the Chiefs for Tyreek Hill, and two, you have Tyreek Hill. And then they also uh, brought in Cedric Wilson, already had Jalen Waddle, so you knew they were uh, not doing much else there. Then uh, last year, well, they still ended up going cornerback, but uh, the big uh, trade before uh, going into March and, and whatnot, Jalen Ramsey. So then you completely go away from cornerback. You don't think they're going cornerback in the draft, but then uh, Chris Greer in his best player available mindset uh, on his board, then he still goes with Cam Smith. So uh, a lot of it uh, is unpredictable. And then uh, and Chris Greer is going to go through that uh, best player available uh, uh, approach uh, whether he thinks it's a position, an, an immediate position of need or not, he's going to draft the guy that he believes is the one that uh, he wants for uh, the long haul. Anyway, yeah, I'm with you there. All right, follow him on Twitter at David Ferronis underscore and catch his work there at the South Florida Sun Sentinel. What are you working on so folks can check you out, my friend? Yeah, I got stuff on the site on uh, Anthony Weaver, of course, uh, new defensive coordinator hire, and uh, just. I uh, wrote a quick thing on the Pro Bowl. The Dolphins, uh, you know, two and Tyreek uh, hooked up for that uh, touchdown. You know, they, they make regular season games look like flag football. Uh, an actual flag football game also looked like uh, flag football. Second second play of the game in uh, what's really meaningless anyway. Uh, a little Pro Bowl exhibition. And then uh, a little bit of an easy week, but uh, might dive into a little bit more of what uh, Anthony Weaver can bring. And um, and then also the, uh, the season awards coming up this year. So uh, – sort of leaning into that and uh, the Dolphins that are up for different things. Got it. David, good stuff. We'll catch up on Thursday, my friend. Appreciate you as always. Sounds good. Yes, sir. Thank you. Welton Rayom, bankruptcy, condo damage, criminal defense, business owner claims, commercial litigation, personal injury. They're there for you, man. 954-966-4646. Even if you don't need a lawyer right now, listen, the consultation is free. If something happened to you yesterday, a week ago, a month ago, six months ago, a year ago, and you're like, man, do, do I have a case? You know, picking up the phone and dialing 954-966-4646 and asking for Jeff Welt is not an issue. It's free. And you can explain to him your situation. The consultation is completely free, and they'll tell you if you have a case or you don't have a case, if they can help you or they can't help you. And maybe you do need help, and maybe they can one of our listeners the other day called, you know who you are, and you ran something through Jeff, and you had a case, but he didn't specify. He, 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 that wasn't one of his specialties. So what did he do? He gave you the number of a, a friend of his, that's another lawyer, that specializes in what you do. So the consultation, even if he can't help you and he thinks your case is special, he might have somebody else that he can lead you to like he helped one of our listeners. Okay. We've had several of our listeners call him for 
hurricane damage, water damage, okay, bankruptcy, all right? I mean, all kinds of, uh, of our listeners the last couple of years have called Walton Rayom. Now, some of you, just save the number because you never know when you're going to need it. 954-966-4646. Call my man, Jeff Wells. This, been- this podcast replay is brought to you by Walton Rayom. Call for a free consultation, 954-966-4646. At Welton Rayom, they don't get paid unless you win. Welton Rayom handles property damage claims due to a hurricane. Welton Rayom can help, 954-966-4646. All right, all right, all right. There we go. There he is, ready to go. How you feeling, my man? You feeling good? I'm doing well. Just uh, struck with a lot of FOMO this week, fear of missing out because uh, I was really hoping the Dolphins would get me to Vegas for a free uh, trip over there uh, this weekend. But uh, but th- that became more and more clear the later we got into the season that that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> it was going to be free for you. I was going to pay for mine and Sean's, but uh, I was hoping to pay for a Vegas trip myself too. Uh, yeah, it, it hurt when I had to ask for my refund for my Airbnb two years in a row, by the way, because I did ask for my refund in Arizona last year. And now this year here uh, in Vegas, I had to get my refund, too, man, which uh, absolutely sucks uh, that I had to get refunded there. But, uh, hey, you know, it is what it is. Now they got to build it back up again. And and that'll be the challenge. And we'll find out, you know, who's available in free agency and uh, and who is not? And uh, I think one guy I, I'm convinced, and I've been saying it for a couple months, they'll be replacing is Christian Wilkins. And that will be a nice challenge for them to either replace him in the first or second round or replace him somewhere in free agency because they will have to get somebody to put next to uh, Mr. Sealer. Yeah, yeah. And if it's – I would lean more toward the draft, I would think. Um, the, the, the Dolphins with assistant D-line coach, Kenny Baker, he was coaching D-lineman at the senior bowl. Uh, Austin Clark was around there to get a good look at them. Anthony Weaver has that track record. He's a D-line coach, uh, coming over from just holding that position with the Ravens and other positions he's held before he's, he's coached D-lineman was a D-lineman himself right. in the NFL, um, and player development. So important to him as Mike McDaniel noted in that statement he released. So I could see, uh, a draft pick going that way, if indeed, as as we've mentioned, as uh, you are very much uh, in, of the belief that Christian Wilkins will be Oh, gone, he's gone. He's gone. I've been saying it for months, yeah, man. He's gone. He's gone. Yeah. And then it, it, free agency, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't see a big-time free agent coming because the whole reason you're letting Christian Wilkins go in that scenario is that you're, you're not spending the, the big money to bring him back. So um, then especially if you're not bringing back Raekwon Davis, then uh, you're also going to need a nose tackle to play those rundowns about 50% of snaps, let's say. Um, and then maybe they go for a veteran there. I haven't looked at the nose tackles that are free agents, but uh, maybe you go for a, a cheaper free agent uh, uh, to, to fill in that role as well. But um, yeah, I could see them uh, getting a, uh, a young D lineman in uh, one of the first couple of rounds, developing him and having him be that guy where uh, you, you pay him a little bit less on a rookie contract and have him be that guy next to Zach Sealer. Yeah, uh, I, that's why I think Wilkins is gone. And uh, and I'll tell you, because some fans will tell you about Chris Jones because he'll be a free agent. Uh, I would be terrified to sign Chris Jones because there's a good chance on Sunday he wins his third Super Bowl. Uh, there's also a 
a very good chance this is his final big contract. I kind of feel that if the Chiefs don't sign him, which I don't think they will re-sign him uh, because they've got other things to do, but something tells me that whoever gets him is going to get like the guy that is kind of uh, finishing off his career and he's not going to be really as hungry as he has he's been in the past. He's got his money. He's got his championships. I would be terrified of signing Chris Jones if I'm the next team in line. I don't know about you. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, and Chris Jones, uh, he would be going into his age 30 season, so uh, he would turn 30 before next season. So uh, you take that into consideration as well, all the factors you mentioned. Uh, uh, would the hunger factor still be there if he gets paid? Uh, Kansas City Chiefs, uh, 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 I mean, now they've made two Super Bowls since letting Tyree Kill go. So, um, I mean, credit to them that even with all the their wide receiver issues, all the drops, all the miscommunications on that front, that, hey, when you got Patrick Mahomes, you got Andy Reid, you got Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones has been, still been there, um, and, and that defense has taken another step under Steve Spagnuolo, then, uh, yeah, they can still play at that level even as they have to replace uh, former players. I remember the Patriots doing that a lot, uh, going back to – uh, when really the start of that dynasty, uh, thinking of like early 2000s when uh, every year it seemed like they would lose a key player off the defense from the previous year. And then even uh, through that later run with uh, Brady and Gronk and Edelman and all those guys, it seemed like they always just had another guy uh, that they would just bring up, whether it's through the draft, whether it's a cheaper free agent, and then just fitting that system, uh, he would work well for them. So then Chris Jones, if he moves, is in, in another system, he's, he's getting paid big money, would the motivation still be there? Hunter uh, to win, all those factors. Uh, yeah, would would worry whoever's going to pay huge dollars to to bring him in, which is what it's going to take. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. That's why to me, that's not the move that they're going to end up making. I think it'll be you know in the draft when it's all said and done, uh, and then maybe in free agency you can get like a veteran that can kind of fill in, teach the kid, guide the kid, somebody that might maybe Weaver already knows or something like that. I could see something like that, but uh, I'm with you. I think it could be in that first or second round where you're trying to uh, fill that defensive tackle need. Uh, you look at some of the other stuff going on. What, what are you hearing about Teron Armstead? I know I'm kind of putting you in an impossible position. I don't think there's any retirement when it's all said and done. There's too much money on the table. Plus, I think the Dolphins really don't want him to retire because that would really create a salary issue. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, from Toronto Armstead's front, he still hasn't made a decision. He's still mulling things over. Last we heard from him at the Pro Bowl, but um, and, and not based on any insider information, but I would just lean toward uh, assuming that he would want to come back and play uh, once uh, – once some some more weeks and months go by in the off season, and uh, you start getting that itch again, you start missing what you were just doing, competing, um, and uh, and I think from the Dolphins' front, of course, you don't want him to retire because of the uh, salary cap implications. It, it would be a, a negative for them, and then uh, you take whatever you can get out of him. If it's ten games that he plays, right. and he's on the injury report every week, you take that. And then maybe he's still a pro bowler like he was from off of those 10-11 games like he was this season. So uh, you take it. And then if it's Kendall Lamb coming back and then he fills in those other six, seven games, then, um, you know, that's something you can work with at least. So, um, I, yeah, I think the Dolphins definitely hope that he's back. And you don't want so much turnover on the offensive line because – you're also looking at the interior of the line where Connor Williams is a free agent and coming off the knee injury. Robert Hunt is a free agent, and uh, that'll be a priority, especially if you're not bringing back Christian Wilkins. Then 
Uh, you know, could you go ahead and send he, some of that money back. to Rob Hunt? He's coming back, yeah. bro. Rob uh, Hunt, Rob Hunt is not going anywhere, bro. He'll be fine. Right. He'll be here. So the left turnover after you just had a good year as far as developing the O-line together. Butch Berry uh, coming back for a second season. First time in a long time that the Dolphins have an O-line coach uh, coming back for a second consecutive year. Then those will all be positives that I think the Dolphins would want to take. And then part of that would be uh, having Teron Armstead in the fold as well at left tackle. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's amazing, David, when you think about it, how important Liam Eikenberg, Kendall Lamb, and Andrew Van Ginkle are to this team. Because of the Connor injury and the insurance policy that Liam Eikenberg has become for him, Kendall Lamb, the insurance policy he's become to Teron Armstead, a guy that can legitimately even start at that position for you and certainly fill in. And then you talk about Andrew Van Ginkle with your two injuries to Chubb and Phillips, my Lord, you got to bring him back in a big-time way because you've got to find another pass rusher opposite of him to kind of at least fill in until you start getting those guys back and get them into a groove. But you think about those three guys, the, 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 the importance that they bring to the table because of the issues you have with other players at the same position. It's crazy how if you're a Dolphins – if you're in the Dolphins' front office – those three guys have to be like a priority for you. Oh, yeah. Top of the list, Andrew Van Ginkle, because oh, sure. you don't know how Jim Phillips, Bradley Chubb are going to come back. So then suddenly if, if those two guys start on PUP next year, and this is that's a lot of months in advance. We don't know how far they'll right. progress. Uh, but, I mean, those are serious injuries that they're coming back from, an ACL for Chubb, the Achilles for Phillips, who, by the way, he posted his first steps uh, a, little, a little bit on the crutches on his Instagram story and then on the, some machine there. So, uh, you know, good to see that from him now, what, two and a half months uh, since the injury and the surgery. It was late November. So uh, I think that, yeah, that's the timeline on that. Um, so good to see that. But Andrew Van Ginkle, yeah, he's at the forefront now uh, just because you don't know if, if you're going to have those two guys to start next season. So then he immediately becomes a starter in that case. And then even if you do have them, it's just the rotational guy aspect of it where uh, maybe starting off, you don't want to give uh, Chubb and Phillips so many snaps like they were seeing before. So you don't want them playing the 90-plus percent of defensive snaps. So Andrew Van Ginkle, huge on, on that front. And I think he would like to to stay in Miami just based on – I mean, you, you get glimpses of him with his wife, his family. They're, they're down here and, um, you know, on hard knocks and all that. So I think that would be uh, great for, for both sides if uh, they're able to reach that conclusion then – uh, you mentioned Kendall Lamb. You're speaking on uh, my colleague Perk's language there because I remember last season on, on our program with the Sun Sentinel, he was talking all this. He was always uh, speaking of Kendall Lamb or just the backup left tackle as such a priority in free agency last year. And I'm they're kind of brushing it off like, all right, yeah, I get it. Teron Armstead's always hurt, but – uh, you know, there's starters that you need to get to, but then it, it's true. You really do have to look at that position because you know, you, you just, you bank on that Armstead is not going to have a full season and he's going to be on the injury report throughout the year, whether, whether he is playing or not. Uh, so you always need that guy to, uh, to have as backup and Liam Eikenberg as well. Uh, just whether you need him at center uh, to start because Connor Williams it won't be available, or if he's going to be in that left guard competition next year, then that would be uh, uh, something for him as as you've seen him develop now. Or if he's just the backup center again with Williams now having uh, a, an injury that he's coming back from, uh, those would all be key players next year for sure. I agree. 
I agree. I agree, my brother. And that's that's why it's going to be kind of interesting to see the developments in the offseason because you know, some of the players that are signed first may not be the biggest names. It might be some of these key guys that are part of, you know, making sure that bridge to Phillips and Chubb is there with Andrew Van Ginkle. You know, all those kind of things, obviously. I'm sure I'm sure Weaver's already going through the tape and trying to figure out how, you know, because he's probably going to play. His system's going to be probably a little different, too. You know, he's probably going to tweak and do things his way. So different players, he may require a couple different players in that system that he may not have at, at this point in time. Or there might be some players, like let's say a Cam Smith, might be able to excel more with him than with Vic. I don't know. The, the, the interesting part that we don't know about Weaver is, like, we just went through a guy that plays a ton of, of zone all the time. Very little man-to-man. -man. That's the part I'm not going to know about Weaver. How much man is he going to play? How much zone is he going to play? Now that it's his show, you know? Yeah, that's one thing I definitely want to hear from him whenever we do uh, hear from him first in his introductory press conference, which I believe will be next week at some point uh, after the Super Bowl, things sort of settling down. So uh, his one stint as defensive coordinator, he was a, a little bit more of the aggressive type. But in 2020 with the Texans, a lot of single high safety looks, maybe some cover zero, and um, and it almost looked closer to the, the Flores-Boyer type of thing. But then now he's been under – a Baltimore system of Mike McDonald there where uh, there was uh, less of the blitzing and more of the, the zone coverages, too high looks, uh, safeties. Uh, that was a, a predominant coverage there. So then uh, sort of where will he fall now as far as what his previous ideas were and then uh, has has he uh, sort of evolved it into more of what he learned under McDonald? How close on that spectrum would he be? Would he be sort of somewhere in between? So I really want to get that answer out of him and then – we'll really know sort of how the personnel will fit and mix and match once we get an idea of what his defense will look like now uh, four years after his last stint running uh, a defense. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll see. And, and, and in, in the end, even in the press conference, he can't answer that question. He won't know because he won't know until he's put in those situations, until he sees what players he has to be able to play certain skill sets and certain things. Uh, so it really, we won't find out what he is for a couple of years, actually, you know, uh, because he really has to develop into his own person. And then he's in a, in a different division now too. And so all these kind of things kind of determine where, what direction you're kind of going, in, going into. So he might go back to being more of a blitz guy. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it all depends. I know this. If he's playing his former team, he better do that. He better not do what, what Fangio was doing. You know what I'm with saying? Lamar, yeah. Yeah, with Lamar. You got to attack his ass because I was going crazy when they weren't attacking him. And, you know, and, uh, and I knew the Chiefs would attack him because that's what Boyer and Flo did. To their credit, that's why they won those games because they attacked Lamar and did not allow him to get comfortable. So I think it'll it, – you know, the situation a lot of times, David, is going to determine what you're really going to play at that moment. You know what I mean? And by the way, he, yeah. does, he does have a safety that can play single high safety and can excel at that. Okay? Yeah. Holland is yeah. perfect for that. He is built for that kind of play. I'm just – he is, he is elite 
If you play him as a center fielder like that, oh, dude, he's going to have seven, eight interceptions. I'm telling you. Yeah. Okay. He's capable of that. I mean, that's uh, sort of why the uh, Flores-Boyer uh, combination uh, drafted him. Uh, and, you know, Greer uh, chose him, and uh, he fit into that Flores-Boyer uh, scheme starting off uh, when he was uh, taken early in that in that second round in 2021 uh, because he could do those things, and he had right. that range. So, uh, yeah, and then uh, that's one thing that was interesting with, uh, with Fangio just giving him one year here is that uh, it was a lot of personnel that still fit the previous scheme, and then you're trying to make it work with a complete 180-degree difference. You have Brandon Jones, who was blitzing all the time in the previous defense. Now you want him to play coverage. Javon Holland, is uh, his uh, zone is shrinking as far as uh, allowing his range to flourish. And uh, and to your point about uh, the way he attacks his former team, the Ravens, yeah, that was the difference of what the Chiefs did, what the Dolphins did between 56 points, right? That's what the Dolphins gave up, and 10 points that uh, the Ravens scored in the AFC Championship game against the Chiefs. So uh, the, the proof is kind of uh, right there. Yeah, exactly. That's why I think it's just one of those things that we've got to – it's kind of a wait and see because he may not even be able to evolve to what he has, what he wants to be because he may not have all the pieces he needs the first year. It might take him a couple years, just like Fangio. What I didn't like about Fangio is, you know you inherited uh, talent from another defense. You weren't flexible enough to use them to play in their strengths also. And then that also shows me as, as, a, as a coach, I know you're a great coach, but you're a great coach with your system. Well, I, I kind of like the coach also that can play multiple systems and can adjust to his talent. And that's one of the things I used to love, and I, I hate to do this old man shit. God damn it, I hate it. Uh, but Shula, this is what I loved about Shula, dude. You know, when he had Greasy and Zonka and those guys, well, he ran the crap out of the ball. And then when he had Woodstruck, well, then he knew he could only run with one guy and pass with another. And then when he had Marino, he knew he had the most gifted passer out there, so let me ride that arm. And he adjusted to what he had on his team. You know what I mean? And to me, that's what I like about – I like defensive coordinators that can play zone on one series and then play man on another. You know what I mean? I, I, I like being multiple because that keeps people off balance too. And that's one thing that I thought, you know, Fangio could have taken advantage of last year because he had some guys that had – those skill sets, like you just mentioned, Brandon Jones is a dynamo when it comes to playing him as a blitzer, as a run supporter. And he got better in pass coverage and everything, but but he excels in those other areas. Dude, what are you doing? Let's go. Get after Josh Allen. Get after Lamar Jackson. Let's go attack a little bit more. And he didn't do what his defense was actually built for before he got here. Yeah, what well, you're mentioning there, going man one series, uh, zone the other. Now it's almost like uh, like Miami Heat Eric Spolstra system uh, on, on the football field where uh, you see him throw in that zone defense um, uh, on the hardwood uh, about as much as, uh, as any uh, NBA team and, and mixing that in and how it uh, affects uh, other opposing offenses. So, so yeah, that'd but, be interesting. But, but then again, Spo is the best coach in town. <laughs> he's the best coach in the NBA. He, you know, he's, he's at another level right now, you know, uh, right now in this town, nobody's proven like he's what he's proven, you know, but it, it's a great example on your part that he's a very multiple coach, 
And to me, yeah. I think that's incredibly important. And I thought Fangio lost out on an opportunity last year to show some flexibility because he had the players actually that could help him out on that end more than his end. You know? Yeah. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah, Fangio kind of struck me always as a, sort of like a my way or the highway type of coach, you know. And and when you've done it so many years, and uh, you know you some you'll fall into that mentality. But um, it you know you have to be able to be flexible with what you have. And there was just so much personnel that was there uh, for the structure of the previous defense, so not as much adjustment on his part. Uh, yeah, he could have uh, figured to uh, improve. Uh, increase the blitz rate a little bit based on how much it was. So it wouldn't be such a drastic difference, uh, I think, at least in year one. And then if uh, if it would have worked out where they were sticking with that plan for uh, year two, then maybe you get more of the ingredients that you need for his system, and then you just uh, go further and further on that spectrum to shift toward what he wanted to do. But, yeah, I think year one, uh, it would have been ideal if he – was a little bit more flexible toward what the, the the guys on defense were doing, and just make it sort of like a slow roll, slow introduction into his system. All right, what do you got going on the Sun Sentinel, my brother? So folks can check you out. And, uh, yeah, I mean, checking out uh, NFL Honors tonight, which uh, Tyreek Hill is up for Offensive uh, Player of the Year, and two is up for Comeback Player of the Year. Alec Ingold, he's uh, the Dolphins' uh, nominee for Walter Payton Man of the Year. So. Uh, you know, tune in tonight. Uh, I'm going to also see if any of those Canes uh, get into the Hall of Fame. That'll be good. I know they've been on on that finalist list since I was covering UM uh, every year, it seems like. So Who's be nice there? If, Hester, uh, Hester and who else? Hester, Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne, if, uh, if those guys can, can get in. Reggie um, Wayne will so. get in probably even before Andre, only because he was on a better team. Andre Johnson is a first ballot Hall of Famer, bro. Should be right. No, yeah, no, I mean, no, no. He, should he, be. He there, there's he, no should be. Money like that, you know. There's but no like, should like, be. That's one of the greatest talents I have ever seen in my life at wide receiver is Andre Johnson. He just played on a on a shitty team with no quarterback ever, and that, and, he still that, put up and he still put up numbers. He did what Irving Fryer did for many years with the with the Patriots. Mark Wilson and a bunch of other bums that threw to him, and he would still, you know, get 900, 1,000, 1,100 yards. And then when he came to Marino and, and for Philadelphia after, he, you know, he played with better quarterbacks and, and he put up better numbers and he put up Pro Bowl type numbers. But Irving Fryer was a stud with crappy quarterbacks. Andre Johnson's even better than Irving Fryer. And, and to me, Andre Johnson is a, is a, a, a superstar talent at wide receiver, bro. Like, if he would have been with Mahomes or Brady or whatever, he he would he would have gone into the Hall of Fame and he would have been recognized like he should, like one of the greatest receivers to ever play in the NFL. Seriously, absolutely, absolutely. God. And aside from that, just uh, keeping my eye on, on any other staff changes. We know the Dolphins. I have uh, Joe Barry as uh, linebackers coach now. Anthony Campanelli's out. And uh, Ryan Crow in as outside linebackers coach was previously under Mike Vrabel in Tennessee. But uh, Ryan Slowick, who was previously in that role for the Dolphins, he's staying on staff in another role that uh, yet to be determined. So uh, just going to be following up on all the uh, the news going on around us, all these defensive coaching staff uh, changes. And if you're going to put a punter in or a kicker into the Hall of Fame, the greatest returner of all is Devin Hester. And so I have exactly. no, I have zero issues with Devin Hester.
going into the Hall of Fame. I just have an issue that Andre Johnson is not respected like he deserves because people really didn't look at the talent. They're just looking at the situation and his stats, and his stats don't even tell the real story of that guy, dude. What a shame. Yeah. And wide receivers, wide receivers always get this disrespect, too, where they don't get in on the first ballot. I mean, it, it's so yeah. few wide receivers that get first ballot Hall of Fame status Yeah, um, just, just by the way the, the votes go. And you're right, Devin Hester. I mean, I know a lot of people have issues with a specialist, a return specialist getting in, but he was the best at his position and dominant. I mean, those 06 Bears, you couldn't kick or punt to the guy. He changed the whole game where yeah. they, had, they were kicking off out of bounds, taking the penalty because – you didn't want to score and then just have the Bears go and take those points right back with a Devin Hester return touchdown. Um, at Super Bowl, kicking it off like that with uh, with a touchdown at home at uh, Hard Rock Stadium. Uh, electric moments from Devin Hester. So, Well, here, he here you go, my brother. Sean, give him the news. Uh, the Chicago Sun-Times and oh, NBC yeah. uh, Sports Chicago are reporting sources. Devin Hester, Steve McMichael, Julius Peppers make the Hall of Fame. Three guys that yeah. play for the Bears. So they, they have the insight on three Bears that are making it into the Hall of Fame. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I did come by that, that report. So, uh, yeah, hopefully accurate. And then, uh, yeah, we'll know for sure once the uh, official Oh, there are going to be a shit ton of Bears fans at the at Canton next year. That's for sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> Damn, bro. Three? Huh? At, at least five get inducted. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, so three of them are Bears. Wow. That's, Im that's impressive. Yeah. And they have, and they have like some old time uh, inductees too. Right, right, so, right, right. Exactly, exactly. I'm yeah. with you there. All right, uh, follow him on Twitter at David Faronis underscore and catch his work there at the South Florida Sun Sentinel. David, as always, thank you, my brother. Have a fantastic day, my friend. We'll catch up next week. Likewise, enjoy the Super Bowl. Thank you, sir. Welt and Rail, make sure you uh, call our guys. They're in Hollywood, and uh, actually, they're moving to a new office in Hollywood. Can't say where it's at. But uh, call them, 954-966-4646. The consultation is free. Jeff Welt is an absolute stud. Many of our listeners here over the last couple of years have used Welt and Rayom, and you can too, for bankruptcy, homeowner property damage, condo damage, criminal defense, business owner claims, commercial litigation, personal injury. It's all there for you. 954-966-4646. Call Jeff Welt. The consultation's free. Even if something happened to you a week ago, a month ago, six months ago, a year ago, and you're not sure if you have a case, the consultation's free. Asking does not hurt, okay? Call them, and you can do most of it all by phone, 954-966-4646.